I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You say that. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Uncle Mike. Mark, is that you? <laughs> it is. It is. And here we are. What is the likelihood that you would be calling me at this time? It is, it is, it is statistically, it's a statistical anomaly. At four o'clock? <laughs> All right, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe we planned the whole sort of thing. How are you, my friend? I think someone else is planning this whole sort of thing. And... <sighs> I think we're going to get into that a little bit today, but I think there's some kind of grand designer, Mike, and I'm not saying you're behind it or I'm behind it or even that we're even uh, a winning participants. I think it's 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 an egregore, a collective consciousness. But anyways, I'm doing good. How are you? Brother, uh, the exact same ideas have been flooding my mind for at least an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week. Like, you know, um, the, the, so I can't wait to see where this conversation is going to go. Cause I don't know where, where, what is your motivation for what you just said, mm. but we are in alignment with that. Well, on many fronts and I had to write, I had to write it down on a card last night. Because I, I had one of those moments where I'm like, oh, I know what I need to tell Mike about. So, and I've added to it a little bit since. So, I don't know where to start, but I do have a few things that I randomly asked you recently. Did any of those things st stick out? Uh, you mean, do I remember the random things that you've asked me? Just over the past two days. No, I don't remember any of those questions. So, so that's going to be perfect. So it's going to be fresh when you ask me them again. Okay. So I asked you 
I said, well, first of all, I said, wow, unbelievable. I have questions about Keanu Reeves. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. This was when you were on a podcast. So poor form of me to interrupt you, but I didn't realize that you're on the Homie Romy's podcast for so long. So anyways, that night I was looking on YouTube as I usually do, see what was new on your channel, see what was new on Ross's channel so I can upload them to this RSS feed. And I see a movie poster for Bill and Ted's Face the Music 2020, okay? And normally, I mean, lately, I haven't watched any movies. It's not really on the top of my list to watch movies when the weather is so beautiful and I'm already spending more time at my computer than I would like anyways. So I go and I, I see this. Because I noticed Keanu Reeves's face, like it looked very, it looked like they were trying to make him look older. You understand what I mean? Like people say, like Keanu Reeves, like looks very young for his age. Okay. And this character, the way they depicted him, it was like they took his character Ted and aged that character, not Keanu himself. So it's kind okay. of an interesting, like weird, like mix of like what seemed like makeup but also prosthetics on his face okay. <laughs> and it's a single it's a sh single shot picture it's just a I didn't watch the trailer or anything like that I just saw the picture and I said that looks odd and then I looked at Keanu Reeves's last name and I'm like oh his name is pretty much the same as mine which is not anything significant at all but it was what drew me to his Wikipedia page to look further to say, huh, what is going on with Keanu Reeves? What's up with this guy? Because he's got like a sort of a reputation for being a very private person. Um, he's also has like an internet sort of um, fame as being like the sad meme guy. Like there's all these sad memes of him sitting on a on a bench, you know, so people will post yeah. a picture of him to portray when they're feeling sad right so all that aside i don't really have a big impression of the matrix which probably sounds surprising as a you know what we talk about generally you might uh, suppose we would love that movie but speaking hey, for myself can i get some clarification yeah, yeah. You mean like you've never actually watched it or like you watch it and you're like ah eh, whatever i've watched it several times but i've never sat down and watched it front to back like i've never like put the dvd in and, and watched it from beginning to end it's always been on television and i've always you been mean, you mean the entire three series or however many episodes there are just the, the first of movie. movie of the franchise oh you mean just the first one you've never watched in in its entirety the first movie the matrix well I've watched it in, in its in its entirety, but in pieces. So, like like I said, only being able to see it when it was on television, naturally, I would either you know miss the first some odd minutes or or have to go before it finished. But I, I have seen the whole thing. I, I know the concept. I know the idea. But it's it's never been like a big like hot button thing for me I, there's a lot different there's many different movies that i would go to to say like oh yeah this movie woke me up or this movie right you right, know right, it right. wasn't quite the matrix so 
Keanu Reeves never really made a big impression on me in that way. So I went and I, I read some stuff about his personal life that just really stood out and shocked me. I'm like, what is... This doesn't make sense to be in somebody's Wikipedia page. It's just such a... The way they phrase it is so odd. Do you want me to read it? Well, yes, and I want to say this also. Like, the nature of Wikipedia and celebrities and, and you know, even if, if, if Keanu Reeves is portrayed through the media as being the uncelebrity, uh, he still has a friggin' agent, and there's still someone who's like... I mean, you, <laughs> there's still someone who should be watching his... his uh, his Wikipedia page because that is as much a branding tool as anything else. Right. Not, you know, the biggest. So, okay. So go on and tell me what, what it was that, that captured your attention, um, on his Wikipedia page. Right. And, and I'm doing all of this, like, you know, this Wikipedia sleuthing with you in mind, because this is kind of something that I've heard you talk about, uh, in older, older interviews that like Wikipedia is just where you started because naturally Wikipedia is the best. It's yeah. the best because you could just jump so quickly and when you need to go off it, they use, you could just go off of the footnotes. So go on. You got me hooked. I'm really excited to hear what, where you're going to take me on this. Okay. So I, pre- I prepared a, a slideshow because this is, this is like a la Mike Wan right now. The, the, the few things I've been doing the past week. All right. All right. So I don't have access to see That's anything. fine. Are we going to see this? It's okay. All I'm right. just going to read off of it for, cause I'm such like a fumbler on the computer that I'm like, if I don't have all of this with like within a click of one another, it's not going to be cohesive enough. So okay. here we go. Walk me through. Let's see what we got. So this is the first part that drew me to Keanu Reeves's Wikipedia. I went straight to his personal life. I always do that for whatever reason. Anytime I look up somebody notable, I go straight to their personal life and see what's there. And I agree with you. That's where I begin. So it says in 1998, Reeves met director. And this is the first thing it says. It doesn't talk about. Anyways, in 1998, Reeves met director David Lynch's assistant, Jennifer Syme, at a party thrown for his band, Dog Star. They started dating. So, okay. uh, So 1998? Correct. That's what it says. So can you go look at his filmography? And tell me what has been what was released like before that. I think that I want to say that the Matrix came out in two thousand, but I'm, I, I want to know where he is existing in in the collective uh, 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 consciousness at that time. Can you look at that for me, or am I going to throw you off by asking? That? No, you're not throwing me off. And I do know that the Matrix came out in nineteen ninety nine. So, so okay, so this may even have been while they were filming it, or right. at least right before it. But there was a point in time when when Keanu Reeves kind of um, like the Matrix changed how he was viewed as uh, in the collective consciousness as an actor. Right. 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 Like I want to say I don't really recall exactly what movies he had done prior to that. Like he was first or primarily introduced to this Bill and Ted. And I think he held on to that on to that kind of. Uh, uh, label until the Matrix came out. I could be mistaken. I'm not a Keanu Reeves expert, but but I think that's important because you're talking about when this thing which you're about to go down to. This was before he became like 
super duper star. He was still an A-list celebrity, but it was before he like really became like uh, uh, worthy of the sad guy meme. Right. And to be clear, he was in uh, almost 20 films before The Matrix. So he he had done right. a lot, not all major he, roles, he's but known. Yeah. Right, right, but I don't want to I want to say like the same thing is true like if you look at Tom Hanks's career. Right. Tom Hanks was positioned as a certain type of actor until they gave him a one-two combination. I mean, this is how it's worked. It's so it's so like worked and when they release uh, certain movies and how they're going to be. But Tom Hanks went from being like kind of like a joke, not like a joke, but not like a serious actor. And then I want to say he did the movie Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. They came out like one after another. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Tom Hanks became like, like, you know, the generation's Cary Grant or what have you. Not that I'm really certain what the generation which Cary Grant was an actor, <laughs> what, how he was. But I want to say that that's probably who well, he was. So go... So go on. So Keanu Reeves, this is before he like really made his switch, but he was known. He was right. very well known. Right. And we're going to revisit Keanu Reeves' record of movies um, because I, I kind of visited that a little later in my investigation. So, so here we are, okay. 1998, David Lynch's assistant, Jennifer Syme, who's um, at that time, she's only 25, 26, and Keanu is about 10 years older than her, right? All right. So they started dating, and on December 24th, okay, December 24th, it jumps right to December 24th, 1999, a year after they allegedly met. It says. When did they, what was the date they said they met? Well, there's no exact date, but it's it 1998. Yeah. Okay, so 1990, and now we got an exact date. Now we got the 24th, one year later. Right, and it's not just any date, it's, it's Christmas Eve. And it it's says. It's Christmas Eve, yes. Syme gave birth eight months into her pregnancy to their couple's child, Ava Archer Syme Reeves, who was born stillborn, right? So All right. tragic, they were upset, the couple broke up, um, and then they later, and this is, you know, it's very concise the way they put this, so I'll, I'll stop paraphrasing so I, and I'll I, read it. You, so I'm just, I'm just telling you this, like you can probably understand this as a human being and the fact that like, you know, you're, you're, you're intelligent. Maybe even, you know, someone who's gone through it, but as a parent and also as a, as a friend of someone who's gone through a stillborn birth, I can't imagine any, like it's one of the worst experiences right. emotionally, what a human being can go through. So I'm just, you know, I want to put that out on the record as well. Yeah, no. And, and, and I, I should give um, some credit to L, one of the patrons of my podcast. She, uh, when I posted on Telegram that I found this, she, she gave me. Uh, she was like, "Oh yeah," and gave me some some interesting um, perspective from a woman on this because I I hadn't really realized that that you know eight months in is a very rare thing uh, to have Dude, a stillborn. And, and like just even thinking about it, like that idea is. So so, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's that, devastating. That, like to a level of like nothing, like there's a lot of devastating things that happen in the human experience and I would, or potentiality. And that's gotta be, in my opinion, has to be one of the highest ones and definitely for mother over father, because, you know, uh, baby literally is, is, it's part of grows inside of her. Like, uh, yes. Yeah. So, okay. Go on with all of this. Right. So again, I'm not going to paraphrase. 
Go ahead. And by the way, like uh, we're going to hit up with with L again because what I wanted to talk to you about was L. But go on. Oh wow. Huh. Okay. So not 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 your L, but I was going to talk about the character L from Stranger Things. So oh wow, interesting. Okay, so um, I'm not going to paraphrase, but I was paraphrasing a bit before. So it says. Um, the couple broke up several weeks after, but later reconciled. Now they fast forward a little bit on April 2nd, 2001, Syme was killed when her vehicle collided with three parked cars on Coanga Boulevard in Los Angeles. Reeves told investigators that they were back together. They were brunching together in San Francisco on April 1st, 2001, April Fool's Day. Uh, so, all right. So let me rephrase that. Yeah, give me all those dates again in slow motion because those are a lot of dates at once. So, right. when did when so, did she when did she die? So, we'll fast forward or we'll reverse a little bit. Gives birth December twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Stillborn, right? And then they mm-hmm. fast forward April second, two thousand and one. So, almost two years later, a little more than two years later, or less Is than two years less no, than two year years later. Yeah. Um, Syme was killed on Coanga Boulevard in Los Angeles. Reeves told you know, investigators. What's Coanga Boulevard? Is that anything like? A, it's like yeah. Wilshire. It's it's a significant place. It's it's near the Hollywood Hills. Um, you've probably seen it in like the movie Mulholland Drive, which comes up. <laughs> it's a David okay. Lynch film, right? So it's it's next to the Hollywood Bowl, okay, which is where a lot of these musicians perform so okay so this is just that one paragraph this is what i first saw and i'm like huh weird right uh it says because they're sort of insinuating guilt on keanu reeves let me read a little further um reeves told investigators that they were back together they were brunching together in san francisco the day before jennifer syme died april 1st 2001 the next day Okay, April 2nd, 2001, Reeves called the Los Angeles County Coroner Office and asked if Syme was there, period. <laughs> and then it says, Reeves acted as a pallbearer for Syme, who was buried next to their daughter. He was scheduled to film the sequels to The Matrix the following spring, but sought peace and time, according to friend Brett Domrose of Dogstar. So that's what I saw in his personal life. That's all it says in his personal life, right? Which is is strange, kind of devastating, extremely devastating. You know, someone he obviously cared a lot about loses their life. Um, So I'm like, well... So let me get some dates. When uh, when When was The Matrix released? The Matrix came out on... March 24th, 1999. So it was... 1999. Okay. And when was the stillborn? So, oh, that was December 24th. 1999. Right. And and I'm sorry, the early release was March 24th. When it was released to the whole box offices and all that, that was March 31st, 1999. March, which March is 31st. the day the day before... They had brunch, and then the the you know two days before Jennifer Syme died, or I'm sorry. So that no 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 so no 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 no. Yeah, the movie was already out. Never mind. I'm sorry. Sorry, getting confused here. Two years to the so uh, her death was 2001. April correct? 2nd. Yep. April 2nd, and so The Matrix came out 
the 31st 99. So that's, um, two years, almost that's two years to the death. Right. Almost. Right. And then what is the day count from the matrix release to the death of the child? From March 31st to December 24th. Yeah. You have like, you could go to like a day counter website. You ever go to those? No, I'll go to it right now. Yeah, go type in like day counter and you can put in the date and it does like all of that math for you. Okay. The Lord knows we don't want to do the math while we're like actually like having a conversation. That's just too many balls in the air. <laughs> all right, hold on one all second. Right. Um, yeah, so this was very, you know, seeing that in the Wikipedia page definitely sparked me down a Wikipedia tab rabbit hole. Just a bunch of tabs. Uh, Understandably so. I'm, yeah. this, this is getting kind of interesting for me as it relates to the um, like the the dates and and the the stillborn was at eight months too, correct? Right. Uh, and yeah, so I I knew this would be up your alley. Uh, let's see. So it's exactly ninety seven days between December fourth, nineteen ninety eight, and March thirty first, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, oh, so the stillborn happened first. Right, right. Okay, and that was 97 days later? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, the stillborn... The stillborn, stillborn was happened. 97 days prior to the release of the Matrix. Okay, okay. And... All right, so, all right, so keep... So, all right, so keep going with, with your story. Right, so... A lot of things popped out at me in that one paragraph in, under Keanu Reeves' personal life section. Anyone listening, go to the, his Wikipedia to see just that, what I just read, and only that. So I go and I look, who's Jennifer Syme? Who is this woman and what's her life like? So on her Wikipedia page, all it says really is, you know, she had a relationship with Keanu Reeves ended early in 2000 following the stillborn of their daughter. They reunited in 2001 and then Syme died at the age of 28 in an automobile accident on April 2nd, 2001. So how do I spell her name? S Y M E S Y M E. First so name again, Jennifer. Jennifer. Okay. And another really strange thing is, so we go to her early life, right? Early life and career. And it says, Syme was 16 years old when she walked into Lynch's office. She was a huge fan and wanted to do anything on Twin Peaks. She got a job at Lynch's company, Asymmetrical Productions, where she started as an intern and ended up working for five years. She introduced Lynch to many of the musicians he used in his projects, and according to Kofi, she had a huge influence on the music in the 1997 film Lost Highway, 97. Syme also did some acting, and Scott Coffey directed her in, the, in five independent short films. The last one, Ellie Parker, was shown at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2001. Syme later joined the staff of a music label. She was also personal assistant to guitarist Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction, and later the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, and made her film debut again in 1997 uh, as a small role in David Lynch's Lost Highway. Uh, the small role was credited as Junkie Girl, 
which when you learn about the details surrounding her death, it's very strange um, that they would call her junkie girl. So let me come back to that. When we look at Syme's personal life, we see that it says that Syme met actor Keanu Reeves in 1998 at a party thrown for Reeves rock band Dog Star. However, Syme's mother, Maria St. John, disputed the reports and said the two had known each other for at least a decade prior to 1998. Now, keeping in mind that Jennifer Syme is only 16, 17, or, you know, um, at that time, she would have, uh, what's that? She would have been six or seven if it was 10 years earlier that she met Keanu Reeves. Well, if she died, if she died at night in two thousand and one at twenty eight years old, then in nineteen ninety eight she would have been twenty five. So then, ten years prior, she would have been fifteen. So if she met oh, Keanu, she yeah. who did she meet when she was fifteen? Then, well, that's according to her mother. According to her mother, she met Keanu Reeves ten years prior to nineteen ninety eight, okay. and she would have been fifteen if what her mother is saying is true. And, and like I said really earlier, Keanu Reeves is 10 years older than her. So he would have been 25. She would have been 15 when they met, according to her mother. The actual record or whatever says that they met when she was 25 and he was 35. All right. All set, right? So so it says uh, <clears throat> it discusses the, the stillborn it said Simon Reeves' uh, grief over the loss put a strain on their relationship, which ended several weeks later. They remained close friends after their breakup and were together in 2001. Um, so then we get to the point of her death. On April 1st, 2001, Simon attended a party at the home of musician Marilyn Manson. Now, keep in mind, Marilyn Manson's home was in Los Angeles, and Keanu Reeves said that he was brunching with her on April 1st in San Francisco, okay? So, it says, Syme attended a party at the home of musician Marilyn Manson, April 1st, 2001. After being driven home by another party guest shortly after dawn, she left her home, reportedly to return to the party. She drove her Jeep Grand Cherokee um, back to Marilyn Manson's house, which during that drive is when she crashed into a row of parked cars on Coanga Boulevard, uh, partially ejected from the vehicle and died instantly. Keanu Reeves, Dave Navarro, Scott Coffey, and Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian and David Lynch all acted as pallbearers at Syme's funeral. She was eulogized to the sounds of Barbara Streisand, um... And then it says David Lynch dedicated his 2001 film Mulholland Drive to Syme. So that is where I stopped the Wikipedia looking and I said, damn, this sounds like it would be up Michael Wan or Chris Knowles' Zally. This sounds like somebody has already maybe followed the, the, the lead here and, and pieced this out. So instead of looking any further on my computer, I go to my phone and I type in on the podcast addict uh, app. First, I go to Susquehanna Alchemy and I listen to your breakdown on Bill and Ted, which was unrelated, but somewhat related, not anything related to Lynch or Syme, but uh, kind of 
talked about how, you know, there's this sort of meta thing going on between Bill and Ted's movie and then the Matrix movie. They're both sort of uh, rhyming in a way. And then I date when that came out. The your presentation on that. Yeah. Like I can't remember when that was. Well, I, I can say that was at least four years ago. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was one of your first YouTube videos. That had to be like All 2018 right. or 17. Okay. okay. So, so then I typed in David Lynch on my podcast um, player, and I saw so, a bunch of crap about, you know, David Lynch, just like critics and art podcasts and stuff like that. But then I find a podcast called Lieber Ohio. And I'm like, huh, Lieber, Ohio, that sounds weird. I've never seen that before. And then I look further and it says a culture. And I say a culture. I've heard of that before. Um, I've seen it before. I never listened to the podcast, but I looked further and I found they did an interview uh, with a gentleman who knows a lot about Twin Peaks and David Lynch. So I started listening to that. And then I saw that you had been, you, Mike Juan, had been on the A Culture podcast at least five times. So I went and I listened to your interviews with him, and I asked you about that last time we talked on the phone. Um, and then I, I look and I see that this guy that uh, was talking about David Lynch with... Our friend Ryan Peverly, host of the Aculture, or sorry, host of Libra Ohio. It used to be called Aculture. Um, this guy's name is Nathan Lee Miller Foster. Okay, and I, for whatever reason, I'm like this guy. He probably can help me with this. So I tr try to find his contact info, and I sent him a message. His name is the Occult Fan. But he has a strange name, Nathan Lee Miller Foster. You don't usually see people with, you know, four names like that. So so I reach out to him. I say, hey, I want to talk about Twin Peaks. I want to talk about David Lynch. Uh, and he's like, oh, wow, look at the timing. You you interview or you you reached out to me on Occult Fan Day. 6-6 six, six, uh, is Occult Fan Day when, you know, what this persona was birthed, right? And he's an eccentric guy. He's a very eccentric guy for sure. Um, so then I go and I look at his podcast and you were interviewed by Nathan Lee Miller Foster, you, Michael one, exactly a year ago to the, that name sounds so familiar. I can't think of how, but yeah, the name sounds familiar. Oh man, you, you ought to go back and listen to this. This is, this was an interesting conversation you had with this guy. Um, but yeah, so he, you and him had a conversation exactly a year ago to when I reached out to him. What are the odds? Uh, it so, not so he and I spoke when you spoke, you spoke last year and his episode with you was released on June 6, 2021, June 6, 2021. Uh, 2021 and now uh, you reach out to him on June 6, 2022. Right. To talk about uh -huh. this twin peaks thing. So I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I, I listened to your interview with, uh, with Nathan Lee Miller Foster and he's a, he's a real character. He's a, he's a real character. I, <laughs> the interview was, is it, a, is it a good interview? Yeah, it was a good interview, but you, you have a certain, you have a certain style and 
and you said it to him. You're like, he's the guy that you said right off the bat. You said he had a good uh, like voice for for this kind of thing, and uh, you know, I haven't met him. I haven't spoken to him myself yet, so I don't want to tell you know what my opinion is on his personality. But he seems like the kind of guy who, if you just let him talk, it would be just him talking the whole podcast, and he's very aware of that. So you two had a very fun like interplay like you know he would kind of push the limit and then you would kind of buck back and then you got comfortable and then he made it uncomfortable and you know it's a very interesting dynamic all right all right that's not, and i really like listening to your to to like your observation because you've got you've got a uh you you've got uh an art critic's ear for podcasting like hmm. you, you pick up so many of these shows i mean just the very nature of like you listen to so many, you produce so many. And so you, and you've seen like all, you, you know, so many different styles. So to listen to your analysis of a particular conversation, like it is, you know, everyone's got an opinion, but um, some opinions I think hold a little bit more weight than others. And I would say yours, particularly along these lines would, would, would fit that description. Thank you. So, well, you're welcome. So go on. So this is fascinating. This is fascinating to me. So, yeah, and I'm glad you're fascinated because it's a little, it, it it's kind of uh, a little all over the place. But, yeah, his podcast is called Six of Swords, and um, I listened to your conversation with him. And that's about it when it comes to the David Lynch thing. I, you know, I know from hearing you talk to Nathan Lee uh, Miller Foster that you haven't seen Twin Peaks because he loves the show. So he just, I think he just brings it up every podcast he does. But um, so I won't bore you with the Twin Peaks stuff, but it, it definitely feels like this Jennifer Syme character is like an embodiment of the character that David Lynch is portraying, Laura Palmer. Uh, in Twin Peaks and it's just so strange that you know these people are surrounding her um, her life like she's in the midst of all of these prominent people who you know Keanu Reeves became who he became right around that time period um, and then David Lynch his movie Mulholland Drive which is dedicated to her is considered like his best work and it's considered one of the most critically acclaimed movies ever made. All right. I apologize. I'm eating the banana. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Take your time. But yeah, uh, so there, there are, there are, oh, and then one last thing, Marilyn Manson was accused of being responsible for her death because like I said earlier, she was partying at his house. She left at dawn, obviously intox intoxicated on drugs, uh, not thinking probably right and decided she wanted to go back to the party and crashes her car. Her mother sued Marilyn Manson and Marilyn Manson uh, got off. The The case was acquitted. He, he settled out of court, um, but he did paint a painting in dedication to Jennifer. And it's, it's a disturbing painting. Uh, I know Marilyn Manson is a disturbing artist. That's his thing. But it's a disturbing painting, knowing the story. Um, the color palette that he uses and the watercolor, it, it just, it feels, it feels wrong. It doesn't feel right when I look at this painting. 
and I hope I have a sort of critical eye for for more than just podcasts. But I, yeah, I I appreciate you saying that. I'm not. So you've got an ear for podcasts. You got an eye for visual. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know how I would listen or watch a podcast, but yeah. <laughs> So, all right, um, there's a, there, there's a whole bunch, like I, <laughs> which I, which I to reflect, but I, before I, I start, is, is there more what you want to share? Well, oh yeah. One last thing. So in that interview that you partake in with Nathan Lee Miller Foster, the first thing he says in the beginning of his show, before he gets to introducing you is, you know help the show out, support the show, donate $4 and 44 cents. Okay. He says, donate $4 and 44 cents because that's a sacred number and you'll be blessed. Right? Well, as I'm listening to that, I had just sent Peter shampoo $4 and 44 cents by accident because I meant to buy his PDF once it's $2.22, and I bought it twice. So I sent, I sent Peter that exact number uh, as Nathan Lee Miller Foster was asking his audience to donate $4.44. And for me, that's another full circle because you introduced me to Peter. And what I bought from Peter was a New Haven, Connecticut gyography breakdown that I can only imagine I inspired through my last few conversations with Peter. Um, cause mm. yeah, now when you go to his website, he has two new PDFs available, breaking down, uh, the symbolism of Mary Magdalene and, and how she connects to new Haven. And, um, and he also has a map of the greater new Haven area showing the sort of sacred sites in Connecticut, which is like, jackpot <laughs> how lucky am i uh peter shampoo did that i didn't even have to ask him you know he just like i don't know I, I can't he didn't tell me he did that he wasn't like oh mark you you inspired me to do that uh i can only just sort of imagine i kind of maybe uh brought it up you know so yeah so a lot of different a lot of different like connections or threads going in different directions and there's like a loose knot kind of holding them together. So please, Mike, uh, pick up whichever thread you want. All right. Yeah, there, there, there's a bunch. Um, I want to go and though ask you a question right now. You said in the very beginning of our conversation that um, that you're like, you know, I think there's a, I don't know who's writing the script, but there's a script writer. Or there's a, I forget the terminology you used for, um, you know, there's a the grand there's designer. A, a grand designer. That's so. Uh, when you said that, what was your motivation for that in relation to what you just shared with us with um, everything with the Keanu Reeves and all of that? Well, maybe I got ahead of myself a little bit, but I was sort of. Have we not got, have we not gone to that area yet, or was that uh, of why you said that? No, I mean maybe I got ahead of myself. Like I was a little. I, I was maybe. Uh, hyperbolic by saying that but no i just think that like the way that you know our stories connected yeah the way it all and and how these like random podcasts that i had very minimal under uh, awareness of 
you know, you have a, a broader awareness of, but you're very ephemeral or ethereal, Mike. Like you're you're momentary. You say you admit this all the time. Like, hey, you know, you even said it to Nathan Lee Miller Foster. He was trying to ask you about uh, videos that you did like months ago, and he was like, you were like, you know, I I did that a while ago. It's really not on the top of my head. And I think that there's there is something to that to that philosophy to that way of being that you. Uh, embody that allows for you to be a more active role in this grand designers synchronistic uh orchestra <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> yeah definitely like the, you're more you know, like, you're more you're more uh pliable but not in a way that like denotes uh you know that you're you're not autonomous you're autonomous but like you're you're very like Taoist in the, in the sense problem. that yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh first thing I just want to throw this out because I'd probably forget if I didn't say it now. It is the fact that um that uh the Susquehanna River is uh infamously four hundred and forty four miles long. Mm. And I've always thought that was the most ridiculous thing in the world because there, there's no way to measure the length of a river. Like there's not like a like, it's not like, a, um, like, what do you do on the West bank or the, like, it's, it's like measuring a, where do you, yeah. Where would you even start? But it is, uh, you, if you go and you look at the very beginning of the source of the river, right at, right in Cooperstown, New York, there's a big plaque and it says, you know, this is where the 444 mile begins. And like, there's the 444 club for anyone who kayaks the whole way down the river. And like, so the, the number 444, is cemented in the collective consciousness many, many times. And uh, I say this a lot and people like laugh at me when I say this, but I really think it's true. Like, I don't think of myself as a number guy. Like I've been certain people like get really into numbers. I'm just like, I shrug my shoulders at it, but <laughs> I do always think that there was something interesting about the, 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 the seemingly mystical quality of the Susquehanna river and its role in, in the unfolding of cultural reality and that number being really significant. Um, so there's that. And I, I'm trying to remember this. I, I, I posted something. Well, let me, posted, let me add on. another layer real quick. Maybe you'll remember, uh, 144,000 people are said to be, you know, saved right in the book of revelation. And I think I told you this a, a week or so ago, but the, the new Haven green, was in New Haven, Connecticut, in the center of the nine square grid that started the New Haven, the city of New Haven. They built it to that size by those parameters to fit exactly 144,000 people uh, <laughs> upon the you know arrival of the, the you know new Christ, and that's why it's called New Haven, New Heaven, uh, the creation wow. of the new Jerusalem, the new Atlantis, if you will. Wow! 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 All right. All right. So, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say the statement, but then I'm going to jump back to Keanu Reeves. What I wanted to talk to you about today, um, had to do with this whole idea. You, I, I'm certain you probably have, have like listened to people talk about it. Like, you know, uh, tw uh, 2022 is really what 2012 was supposed to be like and all of that sort of happening. Mm. Like, you know, like, like all of that, I wanted to play with it because it's getting so Weird out there. So, uh, but we'll, 
and that ties into exactly what you were just saying, you know, in terms of like the, you know, the, the, the apocalypse, uh, particularly the, the common understanding of the meaning be, being the end of the world as opposed to an end of an age. But mm. whatever is happening, there is a, from my perspective, a, a maybe a coalescing or a collapsing of which we're seeing in reality and it's showing itself in the degree of mirroring synchronicity like all over the place. And part of it, in my opinion, has a lot to do with culture, stars, and all that other stuff. So the fact that we're having this conversation about Keanu Reeves is kind of interesting. So, okay, I'm ready to... uh, Okay, so let me go in and and jump right in. So I'm going to begin with with the Keanu Reeves presentation that I did however many years ago that was. And to be quite honest, that was one of my most fun. Like when I don't do that type of research anymore. Um, I just don't have the, 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 the space to do it, but that was always one of the most joyful things. Um, at least in my experience that I've ever done creativity creatively was doing that type of research, telling these stories, making these connections. And the Keanu Reeves story, which I don't think really got like, like if anyone like kind of follows my work, that would have been like an asterisk or off to the side. Like I don't think I ever did a sh- Like I was never on anyone's show ooh, hold on. about it. Let me, let me tell you exactly when that YouTube video came out because I think it's important. March right. 5th, 2020. March 5th? It came, no way. Yeah, that came out March 2020. Yes. There's no way that came out. In it feels like it came I, out so long ago. I would have sworn. I would have sworn. I mean, is it possible that YouTube could up could change those? I mean, well, your, your your first YouTube video came out July 20th, 2018. So it's God. it should say yeah. I guess it seems a little like sooner because it says wow. it still says three years since we're not in july yet but yeah i guess it's wow. about uh, well yeah. i can i can imagine so in my imagination i can see where i was when i was doing that research and i was sitting in um an apartment in marietta pennsylvania and i definitely was not living in that apartment in 2020 i promise you back um wow Okay, so that's re- that's that that's even stranger. So I just wanted to talk about uh, what the what that presentation. Maybe I even did what what could possibly be true is I did the initial research, which then became the the presentation many years before. I think that may have happened, um, but who knows? Like, or, or really it could be it. it could be that you created your subscribe star then, and then like re-uploaded that to subscribe star instead of youtube and left like a 15 minute because you do sort of like all right 15 minutes of free and then the rest of it is on your subscribe star maybe like i never know what i'm doing either way (laughs) let's not get lost in the weeds there (laughs) right let's not get lost in the weeds. but but why this is interesting is because it has to do with time and time manipulation so um what what that whole presentation which was so joyful and fun for me to do this research it was linking together the movie bill and ted's excellent adventure and the matrix and there were all of these like similarities 
uh, uh, reflections in the Matrix to Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, right. which would imply either that the Matrix is a continuation. My take of it, the way I presented it, was that it's the same character. Like, I don't know if Keanu Reeves was Bill or Ted. I don't, I'm not that familiar with the film. Um, but then that character was also Neo in the Matrix. And there are all these different sort of things um, uh, uh, that would that that would give a very very a very um, solid logic for why I would make such a such a claim. Um, one of them being like the role of te- of telephone booths and being able to in Bill and Ted they use the telephone booth and they would travel through time and in the Matrix they would use the telephone booth to travel into the Matrix whatever the Matrix may be. But there's something about phones and 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 you know i would even say that maybe what we're even thinking about is time is what they were saying was is the matrix mm. um so the fact that we're talking about the fact that we're talking about the confusion of time like when did this happen did this happened then or you know memories are a little bit off it kind of plays into this whole sort of bill and ted thing um and okay so i wanted to start with that just to, to throw that out there. Now I want to go a little bit into the strangeness of what was her name? Uh, Jennifer signs. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so she was associated from the story you told me and I'd never heard the story. There was, when I was doing all of that Keanu Reeves, when I was pr- maybe for that presentation or whenever I first started doing the research, I looked a lot into Keanu Reeves and I found a lot of, I had to dig pretty deep, but I found a lot of, of, um, of, uh, uh, conspiratorial research in Keanu Reeves, particularly well, his, his bloodline and all of this sort now, of Now, let me say, cause you asked me before you said, is there anything that you want to, and I forgot something and this is huge and you just reminded me of it and you might even know this already. So the first theater production that Keanu Reeves ever took part in, okay, he ever took part in, was called Damn Yankees, which is a modern retelling of the Faustian bargain, okay? So, and you you know all about Faust, right? That's the whole selling your soul to the, the devil, right? Yeah. Now, get yeah. this. I, I did a whole presentation on Fauci and Faust, like when right, that first right. came out. right. Get right. this. Does it say what? Does it say what party place? Um, no, but it says that he did this at the Hedgerow Theater in Rose Valley, Pennsylvania. Huh. So, so you know, Rose Valley is where we had our meal. Exactly. So that's why. Uh, that's why I was like, I can't forget to leave that part out. So that's all I wanted to add. It. Um. I want to say, God, this is really weird now. I feel, I feel very strange saying what I'm going to tell you right now. I'm almost positive that I, I did that as a, like when I was in middle school, I want to say I was in a theatrical presentation of Damn Yankees. Really? It, like, it feels, this, like, that's, I know that I did a bunch. I did like three plays when I was in, in middle school. So did and, I. That's, and that feels like very, like when I say like I was in damn Yankees, uh, 
the memory of that feels like when you're trying to remember a dream, which is just outside of your ability to remember <laughs> it. Right. Like the other ones I can remember with a little bit more clarity, but, but that one, I'm like, I know, I know that. Would Why it, do I know it, that? Would it help if I just gave you a quick synopsis of the plot? Uh, no, I wouldn't say, I would have stay focused on, on ahead, Keanu Reeves story, but we'll, we'll go with, but, but that might be interesting. So he, that's what he started with. Okay. Um, where were we before we went to the, the damn Yankees? Jennifer Syme and, and her. Oh, we- Jennifer Syme. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things, which is there were, there are four, there are four people who they, the, the Wikipedia story, and I agree with you, like that's a strange like there's a lot which you can write about Keanu Reeves, and if that's what is the the primary personal life stuff which is showing up, um, you know that's a that's that's a little bit um, I don't know I I wouldn't think that would be the case. But so the the four people that are associated we got Keanu Reeves who's already indicated <coughs> is in the collective consciousness associated with like melancholy. He's a sad guy, right? Yeah. All right. Now we've got we've got David Lynch. And how would you mm-hmm. how would you describe David Lynch? Like he's not exactly a sad guy, but there's something like there's something a little bit like it's not quite I mean it's darkish, but it's not like dark in terms of like uh um like it doesn't feel how would you describe David Lynch and his work? I would say it's very, um, it's not, yeah, I guess it's not dark, but it's, it's sort of like, it's in that world. Yeah. It's, it's ephemeral. Like it, it speaks to your soul, but like the shadow side of your soul. Right. There, there, there's like, a, there, there's a melancholy with that as well. Maybe mm. a little bit different than the sad guy. And now we've got, we kind of like a two. noir thing. Like, you know, can, yeah, yeah. And then we got, and then we've got, um, we've got Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Now Marilyn Manson, he's got a, like, I mean, what, what knew the hell is Marilyn Manson? Like when you look at, um, you know, I, I talk about these people, like I almost didn't even think of them as, as people as much as they are characters in the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're people, maybe it, it is, but like, uh, the way they're presented and what they have become is larger than who they are as individuals. It's, they aren't just like clone lab, made up, whatever. Um, but Marilyn Manson, he's tied together with like, um, you know, obviously like what Marilyn Manson is. Marilyn, uh, like as a, as an actor, I think his first album was like, what was it called? Like Antichrist Superstar, something like it was a play on yeah. own words of the, of the 1970s musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Right. Um, and then he did King Kill 33. You know, he's got that James Shelby Downard connection. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know when that came out, but that, like, that was indicative. I would say, like, that was, that was ahead of the curve, at least for me. Like, I remember when I first learned about James Shelby Downard, that then it was, like, in hindsight that I think I found out about uh, the connection with Marilyn Manson. Not that I'm a, a particularly knowledgeable of his work. I'm just aware of him as a cultural icon. Yeah, but then yeah we it's have, a song, King Kill 33. Uh, and then we have, um, there was, what, 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 what was it called? The Memphis Six or something? like The, mm, like the West the, Memphis the, Six. 
Is that what it's called? So he's he's deeply tied to that too, I believe. Like him and Eddie Vedder and a variety of other pop stars. Um, and then uh, what's her name? Rose McGowan. Is that her name? Right. right. Uh, so he's got like he's got like a real where a sinister side or a sinister element tied to him as because we're talking about egregores, right? And egregores are more about quality. So he, he brings more, I would say, of a sinister element into it um, than, per se, Keanu Reeves and David Lynch. And I, I'd say he also brings in a sexual element as well. Maybe not necessarily sexy, but definitely like there's a, there's a sexual element which, which is not necessarily as in your face with, uh, with Lynch or, or um, Keanu Reeves. Mm. And-, and now we add the fourth one. Because that's where we get the sexiness. And that's Dave Navarro. Because mm. that's a dark motherfucker, too. Right. Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the Jane's Addiction, like before he became like, a, before they, they cleaned him up. Mm. Right. He got, he got, uh, he got, in my opinion, like Kardashians. Like, I think he had like a, uh, a, a, doesn't he have like a, 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 a reality show or something like that? But there was a point where, he was definitely the living symbol of kind of like that dangerous bad boy lead guitarist. Mm. And so anytime you're a lead guitarist, it is just oozing with like, you know, sexuality because it's such a, you know, it's, it's, it's such a phallic type of, of instrument and he fits that well. So when you look at those four archetypes, I would say they're all more similar than less similar. Keanu Reeves, uh, Keanu Reeves, Marilyn Manson, uh, David Lynch, and Navarro. And they all have this melancholy. They have like some sinister sexiness, sadness, all of that. And they're surrounding her. And then look at her actual life. <clears throat> Specifically, the stillborn at eight months old. And then, and then her, um, her, her untimely death, which you know, that, that story sounds a little bit strange to me, just the fact that um, if you leave a party, right, she was taken from the party, and, and I don't know under what circumstance, and I think it said that she was driven home or something, and then she, or driven right. to her car, and then she got in her car, and then she immediately returned to the party. Right, right. She was given a, a ride home and immediately returned to the party. And this is after dawn, too, so now it's the morning. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there just seems to be like more to that story. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's something there. There is definitely some type of, 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 uh, uh, ceremonial, um, magical, I don't know if we want to call this like moon child ritual, but when they talk about the moon child ritual, like I'm not saying this is one, but it feels more along that type of, of something's going on there. Right. Something which makes me feel not exactly like all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And yeah, I, and I talked about this with Juan and Chris uh, on a, one of our Patreon shows that we do. And what did they have to say? Well, Juan was kind of like, damn, so now I can't even 
fuck with uh, Keanu Reeves either. Like, he was disappointed, like another movie star. And I'm like, whoa, no, we don't know that. I mean, we what? for all we know, Keanu Reeves could have been an unwitting victim of this or an unwitting participant, you know? Like, we, we don't know his role in this. So they, they Chris and Juan each had their own unique things to add. I cannot remember uh, enough to retell but yeah, Juan kind of brought that up, and I I remember telling him like, well, we don't know for sure that you know Keanu is complicit in this. I mean, he could be a victim. He he could be you know being controlled by some higher forces, and you know she was a, a bystander in something that they were trying to do to him, uh, or or maybe even David Lynch. I mean, who knows. I mean, we got to, we got to step back and, and, and this goes back to like, when I asked you that question of like, well, what did you mean when you said that there's a grand designer or something like that? And it wasn't so much that I was interested in a specific answer as much as, or what your specific thought would be, uh, as much as it is like you're pointing to, there is another element which is outside of our understanding of reality, whether we call that the grand the grand math or designer or grand architect, what have you. And we do not, we being like, you know, those who are in this, this experience, that's, that's huge in our blind spot. We have no idea as to, um, we have no idea as to what exactly it is. And so I say that to your point of like, well, we don't know if, if Keanu's the victim or we don't know, like we don't even know if Keanu's a real person. Like, that's the, like, 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 remember, True. you only know, you only know Keanu because you see him on TV. Uh, you see like, and I'm not implying that he's not. That's why I said, like, I don't know if he's like from a clone institute. I'm just saying like, we've got a huge blind spot. Like the, the stars are put out there for us, for the masses. Now, now that is a 100% factual statement. Um, there's an entire industry to get us thinking about them all the time. Like people magazine, all of these like magazines that talk about the stars that is as integral to the industry as the movies themselves. Okay. So we know for certain that there is an, um, in this, in this realm, which we live where we've got the Hollywood and they've got like all of that sort of stuff. And we understand we, we know that industry and we know that something happens when we watch something like it began with just theater, you know, like watching performances on stage. And then it became like, uh, uh I think movies came before television, uh, the early Nickelodeons, you know, those were movies. Mm -hmm. And then it was, it was television, but it is always known that when as a human being, the way our, our faculty, the way this machine of body and brain and so forth works is that when we see something like that, like there's a part of us that does not, uh, that is unable to distinguish it from, from actual reality. And so because of that, once it gets into the psyche, like it really does start to create something, uh, which would not exist if you did not see it. Like that is, that's our kind of like the egregore, maybe what you're talking about, like that's the nature of how we are. So people know that. And if that's been, that knowledge has been around for however long things have been around, we have to go and look at these stories that we see with a bit of, um, 
with a bit of um, uh, uh, a recognition of our blind spot. Like, I don't know, we, we don't know, you know, what the grand design or who the grand designer is. And it will pull us in and it gives us stuff. It gives us so much like richness and there's something there, but like, how do you meet that? That was, that was my whole point with like a couple episodes ago when we talked about the James Shelby Downard vortex. Like it's going to pull you in. Like when we watch these things, but if we can go through it, like we, we, we don't necessarily get mesmerized by it as much as maybe we can understand something a little bit deeper. So all that being said, like, what is this story which they have put out there, which has been put out there for people to discover? You know, you and I are discovering it. We're talking about it right now. The people who are listening, now the story is in their consciousness. You, Juan and Chris talked about it. Like, you know, uh, I don't have answers to those questions. I'm just posing them right now. But that's, that's what, 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 what kind of pops off in, in my mind as we're having this conversation. Mm. It's so funny what you just said about the stars, if I could take it back to that, because on uh, Sunday, I went and visited Amos, who I've spoke to you about, right? You know? Certainly. I know Amos. So Amos had uh, a lot to say. We talked for him, with him for a, a bit, and one of the things that he said that stuck with me is like, you know why you young people like to stay up late at night? said why he's like well because in old times in ancient times there was no television there was no entertainment you learned from the stars you looked up at the stars and that was what people watched he said he said people watch the stars and he said that's why young people have this instinct inside of them to be awake at night to watch the stars and it's just so you know interesting to juxtapose that you know this like wisdom that he's passed down from his lineage through the you know various tribes in the southwest to us here you know now in this modern world what you're saying about the stars and how they've got us the youth fixated on the stars you know they, 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 that is 100 percent correct and it's no coincidence that they call them stars right and, and let's go and, and take a step back. Look at the constellations. Like, look at what we think about in terms of movies. Mm. Like, you get a story, and it's put into someone's mind. And, I, and there, there, are certain, there are certain movies where the stories are really big. I mean, the most obvious one is going to be, like, Star Wars. Like, literally think about what Star Wars um, has, its influence has been on the collective consciousness. And what that is, um, what that is done since I guess that was 1977 is when that came out. So that's no different. Like imagine I'm going to hop in the car right now. So you're going to hear some beeping, but that should be fun. Um, imagine living in such a time and then you are outside and it's, there's no TV, there's no electricity, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a more natural environment. And, um, you're looking at the stars and your elders start pointing out what we're calling constellations, regardless of what the constellation is. And they show you a grouping of those stars and then they start telling you stories. Like think about like all of the mythology, which is tied into the heavens. How's that any different? You know, the, the, the medium has changed, but the modus operandi is the same. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But then we have, but this is where, this is where I think the, the rubber meets the road and where it gets fascinating. But at the end of the day, you still contacted Nathan Lee one year to the day after he released the podcast of me and him on there talking about like similar stuff. Like how is that explained? Right? Like that's like to me, the egregore aspect, like the, like how, how does that become reality? How did these stories then become uh, actual, actual experiential truths? Well, and that's, that's what I think is, is what's going on when we connect to the baseline reality, we start connecting to the authentic stories that are going on around us while most people are distracted by the manufactured stories that they create to pool the attention resources. Uh, yeah. And now I'm thinking, so then let's go bring it back to um, Jennifer. Smine? Sime. Is that like, her name? Sime, Sime. Like, almost like the word symbol, like S-Y-M and then an E. Sime, okay, almost like symbol. Um, like, that is, that is such a behind-the-scenes story. Um, and, I mean, that's, that's, in my opinion, that's total subliminal advertising. Like, no one, the, the ever. Hmm. I don't know if you're able to hear me, Mike, but we just lost you. Driving down the highway, looking for adventure. <laughs> well, the cell service isn't my way. Michael Wan is driving around in Pennsylvania town. Lost connection. Will he call me back? I don't know. Let's see. Gotta call him. That's why I'm a podcaster, folks, and not a musician. Let's see. Hello. We got you. Were you driving? Uh, you got- you're driving in uh, in the fields or something out there? Uh, yes, but I'm almost out of the fields. Does it sound like I'm still in the fields? Nope, not anymore. We lost you uh, at uh, pretty much right where you started. I, I don't even know where I started. <laughs> yeah. What was the last thing you remember hearing me say? It was all broken up. Um, we were talking about Jennifer Simon, how that was, how it's such an insider story. And, Oh, uh, so, so I, I described it as like, you know, it feels like it's a subliminal advertising, like uh, a subliminal advertising technique. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of like subliminal advertising is used. Like that, like the, that practice is, is, is part and parcel for particularly, um, for print advertising, you know, not all, not all graphic designers and so forth practice it, but like on certain very high levels, like yes, it's so, you know, that's, that, that, that is a, a, a tool. Um, and what I was saying is if you were to guess how many, how many people actually have seen that Keanu Reeves Wikipedia page? 
Like, let's just say the number a million. Do I still have you? Yeah. Okay, good. Loud and I'm clear. Almost, I'm almost completely out of um, the farmland. I had to go out this, like, back road, and then, uh, but now I'm coming back. So let's say a million people have looked at it. And then, like, as a side note, this is part of, like, what makes the internet such a crazy tool uh, and Facebook is the world's greatest example of it. Um, it's very, very, very possible that everybody, that people see different things on really anything on the internet. Like, you know, my, the Wikipedia page, I guess it would be easier to, to tell by looking at Wikipedia, but at least in theory, um, I could see something different than the, what you say. And that could, that could even be affected by like all of the stuff, which all of the markers that are in your browser. But mm. nonetheless, let's assume we're all, we're all looking at the same thing on Wikipedia. Um, if a million people look at that Keanu Reeves page, I would say one-tenth of one-tenth of a percent would ever like think about what you and I just described. And particularly the fact that, you know, the archetypical elements of the men who are surrounding this woman who not only had a tragic baby death and then a tragic um, actual death and is associated with um, some of the some of the biggest influences on collective pop culture in the last 30 years. Primarily, I'm thinking The Matrix would be the top one, and then maybe Twin Peaks and all of its secondary impacts would be number two. I'd say even like Marilyn Manson. Like, I mean, but I would say Keanu and, and, and uh, uh, David Lynch, their influences were, are, are huge in terms of, of, the, of the story of the changing of reality. Um, and she's tied right in there with all of these guys, with all these characters. Like, how do you explain that? The Wachowski sisters, you know, they're the ones who made the movie, who made the, the Matrix. Like, they, they became some of the first and most famous um, uh, people to go and uh, to, to publicly go through gender reassignment surgery. Like, that, that was part of the, the, the introduction of the, the male to female and the female to male sort of thing, which is, which is happening worldwide right now. Like all of that is tied into this, this symbol girl, Jennifer, the symbol. And what are the odds that it's a transhumanist movie <laughs> at that? Right. Right. Like, and so it's, it's when you, when you begin to, there's something, you know, there, in my opinion, there, there, there's, there's, there's something there, but then there's also this kind of like, as I was saying before, like it's, it's the, that James Shelby Downard vortex, or at least you should approach it with that degree of, of, um, of, of, of respecting the fact that, uh, there's some, there's some, what I would call, uh, um, some some dark magic going on, you know, black magic, manipulative magic happening all around. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, but it's fascinating. Absolutely. And then, this, and then, so this is a thing which I think is interesting. So to the point about how how then it turned into uh, it turned into then these like very tangible synchronicities through time. 
which you experienced with Nathan Lee and with me and the 444, like somehow like all of that like got structured and happened. Like it literally happened. Like we started thinking about this, we're talking about this, and then like, oh, I'm gonna think about that. And then next thing you know, we're you're building with those building blocks. Like that became part of your life. Like, I mean, in a very, very like, uh, I'm not saying a dramatic way, but you contacted this guy about a show on the exact same day, like it lines up. I'm like, is that because you stepped into this vortex and then that lined you up? Is that the way it seemingly works? Like when you start working with like very, very like in tuned individuals, which I would say you would be, I would be anyone who listens to the show and being attuned is a recognition. Like it's all connected. And like, I'm kind of, you know, all of the, the, the information entering into my four lobes is going to then, uh, attune me to something. Um, does this, does this like shape that experience? And I would think that maybe this is an example of that. And then it also touches it in that kind of like that, that Keanu Reeves melancholy sort of way. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of fixated on that point you made about how we could all be looking at the same essentially web address, but find different information and then maybe even further like that all the information is, is there, but certain people have certain eyes to see that but what does that do to our like collective consciousness this concept of uh i don't know it it feels like an inversion or maybe like a different way of looking at the mandela effect or some kind of subsect of that and i was thinking about this this past week and i wanted to bring this up but then all this other th stuff came up that I thought would be more interesting to talk about on the show. But I thought like, what if the Mandela effect, and maybe you've thought about this before, but what if the Mandela effect is a manipulated thing to get us to disconnect with that nostalgic feeling that we get from those key like markers that, you know, sort of like a dream fall into our adolescent consciousness and then stay there for years and years and you know we all have memories of like oh it's the Berenstein Bears it's the Berenstein Bears not the Berenstein Bears I have the books I remember being a kid I remember reading them but people tell you oh no it's this it was always this see here's the evidence here's the factual evidence on some web page here right here and then there goes one more connection point that you had to your past to your to your old world Right. Like the Mandela effect is like stripping us from that um, age of Pisces and into this age of Aquarius. So, OK, so th this is th th this show. <laughs> as a listener, I would think this is fascinating because we're about to go somewhere. You know how we're going to go here. I don't know. But but this is fascinating. So um, first thing I've always. I've me personally, me personally, and there are a lot of people who who whose opinions I respect who don't feel the same way. And, and, you know, it's like, this is just an opinion, but I've always thought that the Mandela effect at the very, was at least 80% overwhelming majority is just manipulation and people's bad memories. Mm. Like, I mean, I demonstrated it myself 
earlier in this episode, I might be go, I might go through a dead spot in a moment. So if I do, just say um, to repeat where I was. Um, so I demonstrated it when I was talking about when I recorded that that video for um, of the Bill and Ted's. Uh, there's probably a really good chance that my memory's just wrong. Like I'm remembering it incorrectly. And you're seeing something that, no, this is when it came out. And that sort of stuff happens all the time. Like before anyone ever talked about like Mandela effect, like that's just like a very well-known truth that, that people's memory, the example which is always used is when police go and interview people at a crime scene and they're like, can you describe the criminal or whoever? And they're going to get like 15 different descriptions. Like, oh, it was this tall or that tall because everyone remembers it differently. Right. Like there, there, there's a truth to us being, uh, remembering incorrectly. And then there's a truth to what you're saying about, um, the very nature of how the internet works. Uh, either in the fact that things can be erased from the memory hole or even like different people can see different things. That's the definition of how Facebook works. Like this is no, no one understands how Facebook decides like what a person's feed is going to be or like what they see. Like it's, it's, uh, they're always like, Oh, it's the AI. And we don't quite understand like who sees what, but that's a demonstrative proof that like everyone sees things differently. Like if you go to the same person's Facebook, I don't know what you call it, like a Facebook page or profile, like you're going to see different stuff. Um, and then lastly, what was, what was the third part I want to make about, about oh, about the, the Mandela effect is like that uh, to your point exactly of when we, when it is done to really disconnect someone from their memories of what they think their memories are or to change them. Um, you know, that's a, that is definitely a technique which would be used to, to, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use this as a, as a, as a parallel. I think it's more or less the same thing. The idea of why in empire building, you remove people from their land. You know, if you are a people who have a historic connection to a land and then after they are conquered, they're moved from the land because when they remove their ancestors from their ancestral lands and all of the different connections which we have with land, um, something happens to the people who've been removed. They no longer have that sort of stability. They, ha- they no longer have those roots, those etheric roots or whatever word we want to use to describe how we relate to our environment. And the same thing can happen to your memories. You know, it's a little bit different, but it's the same. And so if I start messing with your memories and I start, you know, changing the history as we're seeing happening right now with all of the histories, regardless of what you think, of, of what you think really happened, if any of it happened, the last uh, seven or eight years or however long the whole like cancel culture has been, has been going on and rewriting of history, it's less about, about what is the right history and what is the wrong history, and it's more about like, well, the stories that you believe before we no longer believe. That's what it's about. It's like, it doesn't matter like, you know, that, that 
that October is eight and it's the 10th month. It doesn't matter if it's eight or 10. It just matters that I'm giving you something to get you like on a deeper level, all jacked up in your head so that you don't have any sort of grounding and you could go and, and be easily manipulated in terms of how you perceive reality. And I've got one last point I want to make. I'm going to flip the script on everything I just said. Uh, and then I want to hear your comments. So you said this to me a little bit earlier in the, in our program, you said, uh, you know, it's one of your qualities, Mike, is that I think you use ephemeral to describe it. The fact that I don't remember, like, oh, I don't remember what I was saying like three months ago. Like, I just know what I'm saying right now. Like there, there's a, that is exactly like what I'm describing, like what is being done. Um, but at least in my opinion, in, in a more natural way, and maybe one is done in a more manipulative way. And I'll say this other thing, uh, which also fits with it, which is the idea of like, yes, you have ancestral land and this is like, you know, people are connected to it, but there is something immensely true also about the human experience as a nomad of having no ancestral land. And so there's no ground really to stand upon to say like, this is the right way it should be. We should have all of our memories or we should always be connected to our land as much as it is like, <laughs> it is a fucking wild show which we're experiencing as human beings. <laughs> and trying to get your footing is not easy. And maybe that's not even possible. Right. Damn. I don't know what the listeners are thinking, but I'd be, I'm fascinated. I'd be fascinated too, if I was on the outside looking in, but yeah, rewilding consciousness. I feel like that's sort of a theme that just appeared. That's what I would say we're doing. I would say that, that is definitely it without a doubt. So I'm going to go back to this book and I think I've mentioned it here a few times and I keep reading it. I keep rereading it and it deals with exactly what we're talking about. And it's called a story that will pierce you. It's written by Peter Kingsley. I believe is the that author. is unbelievable. Mike, when I was listening to those interviews I talked about with Ryan Peverly on uh, Libra, Ohio, what used to be a culture, the a culture podcast. Um, okay. You mentioned that book. I don't know if it was your most recent conversation with him. Maybe it would have had to have been, cause I don't know how recently you found this book. Um, I don't think it was the Nathan Lee Miller Foster. That'd be too weird. If you mentioned that, that conversation went so far all over the place that I don't think you did, but, um, but yeah, wow. Okay. So, so I, I was given that book, uh, the first day I met, uh, Ross in person. Okay. Wow. So that was, was that last, it was either last year or two years ago. Okay. He was doing a tour at the Wissahickon and he and I, we may have done a, sh a couple shows, but we had not met face to face. And it's very different when you meet someone face to face, mm. like, Right. Like when, like it's, it's, when it, it, you don't really think about it, but you need to know how tall someone is. You need to see how they move. You need to go like, I mean, you learn <laughs> so much about a human being, like with all of that other stuff. Mm. So like that, that was like a, a, a nice meeting and I was there and there was a, a friend of mine, um, his name is, um, Alroy. And in fun, it's funny because I got a, um, I got a message from Alroy today. I would, friend is, 
is uh, probably a stretch. He's an acquaintance who I think of very fondly. So I don't know him very well, but my feelings towards him is like, you know, I think he, like, I think very highly of him, like I would a friend. And I go to Ross's, he went also to, to this tour, which Ross was doing, and he gave me that book. Okay. Wow. And so, so it's, yes. It's can you like, read, can you read, can you tell me the name of the book again? I want to write it down. It's called A Story That Will Pierce You. And it's talking about the rising and falling of civilizations and just about how, and it's written by this, this guy who is both a highly acclaimed and respected um, uh, scholar of history, but also he's a mystic. Okay. Very well, he's very well known in academic circles. And the book is, it's so friggin' good. And it's this historical book. And he's basically, he brings everything back to, um, Mon- it, but it's told like a story. It's not told like history. It's only 84 pages long. It's 84 pages of story and probably 100 pages of footnotes. So that when you read something he says, then he's got so much like footnote uh, to it, explaining it. It's so good. But it taught, it brings all of Western civilization back to Mongolian shamanism. Oh my and, God. And basically like it just breaks everything down. It's like, yeah, what you think about Pythagoras is all upside down and what you think about like Tibetan Buddhism is upside down. And like whatever story you want to say, like, you know, uh, like he goes in this one part where he talks about in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, how, we think of them now. And what's funny is it begins talking about the sky node as a, a Boris, the Skywalker. Like that's where Luke Skywalker comes from. So we talked oh. about Star Wars a moment ago. But um, so we've got this idea of Tibetan or, or, or really Buddhism in general and being this um, universal, spiritual, nonviolent sort of um, story. But the truth is um, like the Dalai Lama, which was a title that, was first introduced in the late 1500s was actually a Mongolian shaman title and a Mongolian shaman gave it to this, 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 uh, Tibetan Buddhist. And they both recognized themselves as tukas or reincarnations of people. And, uh, they had this agreement. I think it was the Mongolian shaman who told, who asked the new Dalai Lama, who he gave him that title. The first one, whose name was Atlan Khan, A-T-L-A-N-K-H-A-N. Uh, he's like, I want you to go and literally destroy every piece of evidence of Mongolian shamanism, of my people and my history. Wipe out all history, wipe out all of our songs, all of our, our, our sacred objects. Anyone who does not go along with them, you kill them immediately. And they're like, all right, let's go and do this. And so the story, and this is why the story is such a, uh, and why I'm bringing it up right now, is you read it over and over again. And you, you recognize that, and uh, and I don't know if this is what, what the author was getting at. You, you read if you read the back of the book, every single thing that is written about it is like, this story will change your entire life. And I remember reading it. I'm like, I don't understand why this is supposed to change my entire life. I don't get it. But I'm going to read it again. And I kept going back and back. But the takeaway, which I'm sitting with right now is, or at least one of them, it had to do with this idea of like, we, we so desperately want to have like the good guy, bad guy story. 
like you know the the the, the Buddhists are are like nonviolent uh, spiritual beings, and they would never go and work with the shaman, the Mongolian shamans, who them themselves want to destroy their own history, but. It's part of the mystery of the rising and falling of civilization here on Earth. And I would say, like, that's kind of what, what we're talking about, like, with all of this kind of, like, everything that's going on in the world and all of this sort of stuff. And it takes a very mystical approach, meaning, like, it's a mystery. We don't quite understand what exactly is going on as much as we recognize that this is how it happens. Um that's what we're looking at. And we are in the midst of, you know, both like the collapse and the build. I want to say one last thing before I give you an opportunity to, to, to look at it. So just today I was looking at the book again, I was looking at the book again and I asked myself, I'm like, um, what, uh, I wonder when this came out. What was it? What was, what was the copyright date? Because I was thinking about it, and I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier in today's episode, was the idea of twenty of twenty twenty two is uh, the real twenty twelve. You know whether or not that's a, a factual statement or not. Like it certainly fits the twenty twelve um, meme, which was supposed to happen. Uh, so I went to look at the the copyright date of this book when it was first released, and it was two thousand and ten. And to me, I was just like, okay, well, that's kind of fitting because, like, this would come out at whether it's 2012 or 2022. Like, you know, I'm reading it in 2022 time, but it seems to be very much tied into this, like, collapse and, re- and, and rebuild of, uh, of life on Earth. Or as we say, you know, the handbook to... Um, <laughs> of surviving the apocalypse. Right. Your handbook for the apocalypse. You, Your the listener. For the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I said wow before because I literally just heard this two days ago. Somebody um, on a comedy podcast of all places that takes place in Pennsylvania of all places um, <laughs> that there are Mongolian uh, genetics within the Finnish people today. And they're kind of taking a very mainstream look at it because I don't, they, they're kind of conspiratorial thinking, but they're not like anywhere nearly as far down the rabbit hole as us, but they were kind of laughing about it. And now here you're telling me the same thing, but Atlan Khan, I, I think I've heard of him before uh, when researching this book I got called the Tartar Relation. And they talk about Tartaria being in Mongolia. And in my research, I found out about some ancient jade palace that was in Mongolia. So, wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. I got to get that book. There is um, there is definitely uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of something there as it relates to talking about. Um, uh, Mongolia, the the last name Khan, uh, whether that Genghis, Atlan, you know Kubla, oh. and Tataria, and like there, there, there's there's so much mystery around that. Does it connect to Marco Polo? This story? Do they talk about Marco Polo visiting Mongolia? And is that no? No, I don't think by name Marco Polo was not necessarily mentioned. Uh, definitely Pythagoras. Um, 
But um, oh, and here's the other thing. So there, the, the whole thing is about this guy about how he carries an arrow, but then actually he's carried by the arrow. That's like it's. You're going to read the book, and your head's just going to be like, what am I reading? What am I reading? Because you want to put your feet down and say, like, I'm reading historical text. Or at least this is what I do. It's like, you know, you put when you put it into your lobes, have, like, some degree of uh, understanding what you're looking at in order to... Context. To, uh, yeah, context. And so... Um, so... Like, am I reading a historical document? Am I reading a mystical document? Am I reading, are, are they one and the same? I don't know. And so that was definitely a, uh, um, that definitely played into my, uh, into my, what went in my mind when I was reading the whole thing. Mm. Definitely highly recommended to get that book. All uh, right. And gives Alroy, uh, uh a great deal of gratitude for bringing that book into my life. Right on. Shout out to you, Alroy. I um, I have to add one more layer of what the f to this conversation before we wrap up. Where are you? Okay. Are, are you? Uh, you're about to get somewhere, I imagine. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm almost the place I need to be, but I was going to pull over and finish our conversation. Okay. Yeah, I, I got to wrap and, up and pretty I've soon. Done, I've done this twice with you because when we did the uh, the Illuminati confirmed, uh, I also took that in the car. And I also took it very, very close to where I'm going to be now. Oh, interesting. So I'm about to go and do that podcast with Juan and Chris at six o'clock. So interesting. But here's a here's another layer. So. Nathan Lee Miller Foster, right? He had you on the podcast, and that podcast came out 6-6-2021. I reached out to him 6-6-2022. What are the odds that both Nathan Lee Miller Foster and I are both Libra Sun and Pisces Rising? Uh, so, um, <laughs> let's see. It's, uh, what, one. Uh, I think it's going to be um, 144 times 144 would be the odds. <laughs> I hope you're joking. <laughs> no, no, that would be it. So there is, uh, there's a one out of 12, uh, there's a one out of 12 likelihood that you're going to have a, um, a, any rising, assuming you're doing 12 signs. And there's going to be one out of 12 likelihood that you're going to have any sun. So the likelihood of a very specific, of a very specific um, combination would be one out of 44, one, one out of 144, uh, 12 times 12. And I'm pretty certain if I'm doing my, my um, probabilities correct, <coughs> since we're talking about two people having the same, it'll be one, one times 144. Wow. But there's probably a much, Someone will, will, will correct me if my if my understanding of probability is off, which is very possible because I don't think I've I've done probability math for at least thirty years, but I think that's how it works. I couldn't even correct you. I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> say that that's all above board with me. Uh, but yeah, all right, cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about probabilities, but yeah, it's it's definitely definitely strange. I heard him mention. Uh, that he was a Pisces rising when I heard him on the Libra Ohio podcast talking about um, 
Twin Peaks. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So am I. And then he told you he was a uh, Libra sun. So I'm like, huh, that's even weird. I don't know what his moon sign is, but I got to ask him when uh, when he joins me on the podcast. He'll be on the podcast this month. So he's, he's going to be on the podcast. You get people like, you're, you're, I'm impressed by your ability. Oh man. Yeah. It's, I think it, like I said, it's the designer. It's something that it's all, it all weaves together. It all weaves together. That's for certain. But all right, Mike, another great conversation. Anything you want to leave us with before we go? Uh, no, no. Uh, we, I, I've been talking a lot about like personal stuff lately. So it's been, it was fun today to, not be so much about you know the the, the life and times of Michael Wan. So mm. I'm I'm grateful for that. Right on, cool. Well, yeah, that's always uh, good for me too. I appreciate us <laughs> just kind of uh, sticking to the the objective rather than the subjective, so to speak. But all right, cool. Another one in the all bag. Right, Your handbook for Another the apocalypse. One in the bag.